I think that one of my gifts is to be an encourager. And if I come along on the side of uh, anyone, when I look for opportunities, it'd be to tell them uh, so what I see that God is doing in them. Mm. And I encourage them to follow that. Uh, you know, uh, it's not hard. Uh, you're just being a friend or a friendly person. I know, but you go a little further with, I know, so saying if I see that, if I see that, I think but you're a leader. All right, I'm going to tell you that you are a leader. And then, like possibly over oh, like God, like we'll open up a door or a window uh, uh, for you to work through. Thank you to everybody who has been uh, helping us with videos, sharing. Uh, I mean, we shot so much footage that it's impossible to fit them all into services. So we've been using our social media and such. Um, our YouTube channel to help share all of them just because so many people shared. Thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for giving us your story. If you have your Bible, at least one more time. I can't say this is the last time as the pastor of Campbell's First, I'll ever ask you to turn to Mark 14 because it will probably come up in sometime in the future because it's that phenomenal of, um, of a passage. And while you're turning to Mark 14, um, just want to give you a heads up, especially to our online audience. Uh, please uh, stay for the, the duration of the service, the broadcast. Um, there's an announcement that I've got to make at the very end, and I want to make sure that we have the maximum amount of, of eyes and ears uh, available. Um, I just wanted to give a heads up, uh, because sometimes when uh, we're getting close to the end of the message and we pray, people slip out just to beat the other churches to restaurants and things like that. Um, or you're, I was gonna say, you're not tuning out to catch any football. There's really hardly anything going on right now. So, except for Michigan basketball, go blue. So uh, Mark 14, Mark 14. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at a table. And a woman came with an alabaster flask of, anoint, of anointment, a pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, <laughs> she noticed, and I find this quite, quite funny. They didn't say this to anybody indignantly. They said it to themselves. So they could post later on social media. I'm going to talk about this later. Why was the anointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me, for you will always have the poor with you whenever you want. You can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand, before burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, she has, what she has done will be told in memory of her. I love it, love it, love it. We get to live the prophetic response of Jesus' words here, that what she has done will be proclaimed. And that's what we have done this whole month, is we have been proclaiming the, the work that she did, the blessing that she is, and the challenge for us to live out a culture of blessing. I am uh, what they call a history nerd. Um, I love history. I love reading history. I love watching movies that have uh, historical accuracy, but let's be real, 
movies, they tweak slightly historical accuracy. If you ever, ever see Bill and Ted's Adventure, you know that historical accuracy gets tweaked a lot in the movies. I love that great Christian movie. It's fantastic. But um, I remember going and seeing uh, the movie called Dunkirk. And if you've ever seen the movie, if you didn't know the background of Dunkirk, it really, it, it was a very slow movie. But the cinematic features of it, the flow, the score is just tremendous. But the story of Dunkirk, I believe, is just very, very powerful. During World War II, there were almost 350 soldiers stranded like sitting ducks in Dunkirk, Britain, with almost no hope for surviving. One of the British forces generals said this, nothing but a miracle will save these men. 350,000 trapped. They have the beach, the water, and the German forces pressing on, and there was no way, it seemed no way to rescue them. Enter something that was called Operation Dynamo. The British needed small boats that could get through these shallow waters to pick up these soldiers and then take them to the larger boats sitting out in sea. But the problem was is they needed enough small boats to get through the shallow waters, pick up those soldiers, and to get them to the larger boats. But those larger boats would be like sitting ducks, uh, I should say like fish in a barrel, to the Germans. And on top of that, the Navy did not have near as many boats that fit the specifications for what they needed for those waters and for that many people. So the leaders of Operation Dynamo put out to the British people a simple question. And the question was this, who has a boat? Who has a boat? They needed as many boats as possible and as many civilians to respond so that we can begin to get these men off of this beach. And what happened was the civilians responded in droves with everything from lifeboats to paddle streamers and barges, but neither, neither Winston Churchill nor the, those that in were in charge of Operation Dynamo truly believed that they would get any more, get this, we don't think we're gonna get any more than 40,000 of those men off of that spot. They were planning on the loss of 310,000 soldiers. On the first day, only 8,000 soldiers were rescued. But a growing swell of civilian boats continued to come to their aid. In all, more than 700 little boats with civilians at the helm met along the coast of Britain and began a nine-day evacuation in what seemed to be impossible at best. Again, May 1940, there were almost 350 troops there stranded in Dunkirk. Nine days later, more than 338,000 troops were saved. And Dunkirk illustrates how people giving the radical minimum is one of the most important factors in innovation. I mean, wrap your head around this, that the army had really nothing that they could do about it. They didn't have the resources. They didn't have the ability. And all they said, said was, we need people with boats. They put out a word that says, if you own a boat, if you could be a blessing in this moment, we need you. They didn't know how people were going to respond, but wrap your head. Nine days later, over 700 small boats, vessels, we're talking anything from lifeboats to small barges, sailboats, anything that people had personally, all they knew is there was a need and I possessed something that could do something about this problem. And it absolutely transformed the moment. 
And the reason why it was called the Radical Minimum, uh, actually, I was reading some of this story um, out of a book that I have actually been taking some pastors through called Kingdom Innovation. It was written at the end of 2020, and it just challenges pastors to be innovative. And the, the author brings up a term called ra the Radical Minimum. The Radical Minimum. And he defines it this way. The Radical Minimum is a simple thing you ask everyone to do. Rather than asking people to do a lot of things, it's asking them to do a few things, and those few things might be difficult. Let's be real. That giving the Radical Minimum is not always the easiest thing, but the Radical Minimum is something that we can all come to grips with and say we can give the Radical Minimum. We can give something that everybody else is giving, but we can be a part of it. Because what what God wants us to do is not have a few people bless the church and a few people bless the community, but he calls all of us to come together and to be able to give what we can in ways that God has used us and blessed us, and we use that to transform people, transform people for the power and for the glory of Jesus Christ. In fact, I wrote it this way. If blessing is God's default, then blessing should be the radical minimum we could expect, we should expect of every single believer. Let me say that again. Week one, we said blessing is God's default. So if blessing is God's default, then being a blessing, blessing other people, being a blessing in somebody else's life is the radical minimum we should expect of every believer. And some of you are thinking, well, blessing people is not a hard thing. But I would say, oh, contrary, it actually can be a very challenging thing because there are some people in the room that you've got a lot of time on your hands and giving of your time is no big deal, but writing a check and giving that way is a bigger deal. I know people that writing a check is no big deal, but giving of their time is a bigger deal. But the, the thing is, we're not asking everybody to do just one little thing. We're asking everybody to walk in blessing. And let blessing be the default, default and be the radical minimum that you and I do every single day, that we would walk in such a way that would say, Spirit of God, use my life today to give the radical minimum, to give extraordinarily in such a way that my life would be marked with this, that whatever God has given me, it is God's, and therefore I live my life in order to bless people with what I have. So as we just go into this last message and as we just commission you to walk in a culture of blessing, can we just pray over this and ask that God would just challenge all of us today. Jesus, today we are yours and you are ours. Lord, like a, like a beautiful marriage, a scripture calls you the groom and we are the bride. Help us, Lord God, to live in such a way that offers ourselves to you and asks you that we would just be united in your presence with you that whatever we say and do, that our lives would be absolute blessings, living blessings to the world around us, that our eyes would be open to see needs, that our ears would be attuned to hear your voice, to challenge us, God, because, Lord, you've called us to live out that radical minimum that doesn't say we look for somebody else to step up God, and do the blessing. God, we step into the place and we choose to be the default of who you are to be a people of blessing. So anoint our time, anoint our hearts, God. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. So often at the end of our services, I will pronounce a blessing over this congregation, and the blessing is nothing that I have written. I've had a few people that think I've written it, but it's out of Numbers chapter 6. And it's the priestly blessing of all that says, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you, and may he turn his face towards you or his countenance towards you 
and give you peace. It's a phenomenal scripture out of uh, Numbers chapter six, verses 24 through 26. And it's something that I believe that is, it's, it's, it's a great go-to blessing. Um, if you're ever mad at somebody, I mean, scripture tells you that when it comes to those who curse you or persecute you, that you don't curse or persecute them back, you love and you bless them back. And if you ever don't, you ever in a place where you don't know how to bless somebody you're really angry at, this is a great go-to because it gives you the words of the Lord and to speak over their life. And that may seem odd or weird to you, but I'm here to give you permission to be that type of person because I don't know if you know this, God has called you into priesthood. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about a priesthood in terms of um, a position per se uh, in a church or in, in, in maybe a religious organization, but there's something that we call the priesthood of the believer because in the day and age of Numbers chapter six, verses 24 through 26, uh, priests were these intermediaries. They were these people that stood between the people and God, and so they would go do business with God, and then they would take whatever they received from God to the people. The people didn't have the direct interaction with God, and so the priest kind of stood in between, almost like mediators. And then we get to the New Testament, especially First um, Peter. Peter writes words that absolutely turns this paradigm on its head, inside out, right side up. And so Peter writes these words. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now keep that slide up there because that's important. Um, anybody else sing that song growing up? For you are a chosen generation. You know, you get the, sorry, I was going to go into weird little dance. Um, there's a certain beat to it. It's, yeah, we just grew up on this. I'm telling you what, I haven't played my trumpet in coming up in 20 years. I can play this with my eyes closed because we sang it a lot in church. But it's to remind not the pastor that he's a priest. It reminds you and I, we are priests in the Lord. We call it the priesthood of the believer. That we don't ha you don't have to wait for Pastor Dave to hear from God for you. You can go into God's presence. You can walk in God's presence. You can interact with the scriptures. I had somebody talking to me this morning on how in the mornings, I think it's from 5.30 to 6, excuse me, 5 o'clock to 5.30 that they worship. I'm gonna be honest. I don't feel like worshiping at 5 to 5.30 in the morning. But that works for them. That's cool. That's fine. But I love the boldness that says, I can interact with God. Why? Because when Jesus died, the veil in the temple was rent in two, and that veil that kind of held the presence of God in one spot, the priest in the other spot. Now the presence of God is available, and it went from living in a temple into these temples. And Paul's, Paul, Peter says, you're chosen, and you, you are a royal priesthood. That means you get to interact with God and you get to do something. As a result, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. I love that term, that we get to, as a result of our priesthood, we get to declare his excellencies. We can declare his worship. In a reality, we can declare blessing upon the world around us because that's what the priest did. The priest went into the presence of God to worship him and then to walk out blessing the people with what the sacrifice just did. You and I get to do that now. The priesthood of believers, that means that whatever your job is, you get to hyphenate it and attach priest. Some of y'all are, I don't know what you do, uh, Uber priests, lawyer priests, musician priests, 
homeschool priests. That's still going on right now. I mean, whatever your name is, you get to attach something with it. And the reason why I'm sitting on this is to help you to understand that you, that you're not called to blend in with the culture. You are different to make a difference. I want that to sink down in your spirit. You are different to make a difference. You are a chosen people in a royal priesthood. Just as much as the priest went in to interact with God and they begin to speak on behalf, they begin to work on behalf. I want you to know that you can interact with the presence of God and then you can leave that, leave that moment, begin to interact with people and begin to speak out, live out the excellencies and the power and the grace of Jesus Christ. You can let people know and you can bless them, you can encourage them. You get to act on God's behalf to the world around us. See, understand that we are not one church with one location, with one pastor or one staff of pastors. We are one church with many locations, with many priests. What am I trying to say? It's that no matter where you're, if you're watching online or you're here with us in person, that we are one church and that church has many locations. That church has locations right now of a home. Some, sometimes the church location is in a car driving. I've had people tell me that they watch the message at work. I'm like, where at work do you, people have to listen to me? Um, we have many locations that are spread around. Why? Because the presence of God is not confined to a building. I wrote it this way. When you leave the church building, you don't leave the presence of God. You take the presence of God wherever you go. You take it wherever you go. Don't leave Jesus here. Don't abandon Jesus here. Take him with you because you've got a priesthood. You've got a calling. You've got a purpose. You've got a presence on your life. We say it often in January. We don't go to church. We are the church. And we meet, we gather, we celebrate from 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock. But when we leave here, that's when church really begins because the church goes out. It's the priesthood of believers ready to declare the excellencies of the one that called us out of darkness and a marvelous light. Man, this is Dunkirk right now. People need saving. And what they need is there's a call that says, who's going to go? And it's not just for a few special people. It's for all of us to go and to be a blessing. So today I launch you into a radical minimum that calls everybody to give something. And I want you, I want to teach you how to do that. So if you're taking notes, I'm just gonna do four simple, four simple steps of how to give the radical minimum. I'm out of breath already, I gotta get back running. Number one, write this down, take inventory. If you wanna give the radical minimum, take inventory. I mean, I wrote this down. I can imagine Mary wondering, Jesus is showing up, what do I have to give? What do I have? What could I offer? If this person in Mark chapter 14, for which we don't know her name immediately, but John, John's a kind of a tattletale. John just gives everybody's name. He doesn't care. John gives the name Mary. Luke chapter seven, if it's the same situation, she's known in her town as a sinner. Oh man, that, wouldn't that be a great reputation? Oh, there comes the sinner. I'm like, well, you're a sinner too, so we're guess we're in the same boat. You can have fun with that. But she just saw Jesus is showing up. What do I have to give? What do I have to give? I think the first step in being a blessing is actually taking inventory. There's an old song that we used to say, saying, count your blessings, name them. Anybody? One by one. Count your many blessings and see what God has done. 
I think the first step in being a blessing is just recognizing how much we have been blessed. I've had people say, I don't see any blessings in, your, in my life. I don't sense any blessings. I don't have what other people have. I don't have what other people can give. I don't do, I don't, I don't, I don't. And my, 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 my railing cry to them is look toward the cross because when you see the cross, you see that Jesus has already done everything and everything after that's gravy. And if he has saved and redeemed you, you've got something to give into somebody's life. Back in my first job, the best first job ever, making a whopping $3.15 was at the Dollar Tree, where everything is a dollar. And on behalf of Dollar Tree workers, can I just please stop asking them how much something is? It's a dollar. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a dollar. I've had people argue with me. Well, if that's a dollar, then how much is that? I'm looking at the, everything is one dollar. Oh, please, please help them. Leave them alone, they're working hard. And I remember once a year, we would have what was called inventory year. And it was, it was a mess because people would come in and, and I don't think some of you realized how many individual items are in that place all for $1. And so I'd go in there for four to five hours when my shift wasn't that long, but you'd go in there, all you did was count, 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 because we're trying to figure out what did we have in order to know what should we be selling and what should we actually be restocking. And it was painful, it was frustrating, and it was just, the, it was the longest time. And if anybody's ever sat in a board meeting with me, you know I should not be counting to begin with. I, should, I probably should have been fired after that day. But nevertheless, inventory was what it was because it helped us to take stock of what we had. The Talmud says this, a man embezzles from God when he makes use of this world without uttering a blessing. I wonder if we refuse to count our blessings and realizing how much that we've been blessed, I wonder if that's the way Sometimes I wonder if that's the way God looks at how we handle our blessings when we don't count our blessings and we just simply look at them as just what we, they are owed to us. I wonder, is that embezzlement? Is that like spiritual embezzlement? Well, that's what I owe, that's what I deserve. And when we don't count them and we don't walk in gratitude, I wonder, I wonder how God would feel about that. And I know I'm using a lot of anthropomorphic approach to God and I'm putting thoughts and conjecture upon God. But I wonder if there's a challenge within us instead of just assuming that we are owed things, I wonder if we can just step back and realize that whatever that we have that we have been given, we need to appreciate and love and honor. And I wrote it this way. We, if we don't count our blessings, we discount the blessings. Well, we don't understand what God has done. We don't understand that if we own a vehicle that we are in the top 6% of the world's most wealthy people, period. We don't understand the job that we have, the opportunities to collect finances through that job, the opportunities to, that we have with people and friendships. If we don't count our blessings, we actually discount the blessings that God has given us. Psalms 103 says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Love this quote by Harold Coffin. What a name, Coffin. Envy is the art of counting other fellows' blessings instead of your own. Some of us here, you have a hard time counting your blessings because you're so busy eyeing somebody else's. Get your eyes off of their blessings and look at what God has done in your life. Count your blessings. Get off social media and stop counting everybody else's. Count your blessings. Take inventory. Number two, find your signature. 
Find your signature. Look at the alabaster box. Some translations will say alabaster box. Some translations of Mark 14 will just call it an alabaster jar. Uh, Just count your blessings and then find your signature. Find your signature. I think God wants to bless, be blessings to us in unique ways. And I think God's blessings through us can be as unique as our fingerprints. Now there are general ways that we all bless. The general things that we can do that that I think we all do to bless other people. But I think that God wants to bless, wants you to bless in a way that is actually very unique to you. Um, Well, first of all, they come back to you. That's one thing I learned. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. When you give just an inch, you get a foot back. And it could be maybe not a uh, tangible, but there's something that builds you when you give. And so that in itself is almost, that's enough, right? Uh, but just, you know, I've had a, a lot of military time too. Mm-hmm. And I think what I've learned, because I've traveled and been deployed, that no matter where I go, what culture, what language, the, the family makeup, this is a small planet, this rock we're on, mm-hmm. and we are way more alike uh, than we are different. And uh, I think that kind of helps me just day to day when I see all those things. I'm able to take a, a, a we call it one over a thousand look at the mm-hmm. thing and, and not be so detailed in the, in the daily minute to minute and look at the bigger picture. It puts things in perspective. Oswald Chambers says this, says it this way. Let God be as original with others as he is with you. In other words, stop looking at how other people have been blessed and how other people are blessing, but let God be original with others. Let God be original with you. And find your signature on how you should bless other people. For this woman in Mark 14, it was an alabaster jar full of nard but look in a way that you can bless that might be just kind of like your signature, your way to bless others. And it may not look like somebody else, but the way to ruin your joy and blessing is comparing it to somebody else. Just bless people. Barbara Glantz is a corporate trainer who does uh, workshops for Fortune 500 companies. And during one such workshop for a grocery store chain, she talked to those employees about adding personal signature to their work. Well, one of those grocery store baggers, a young man with Down syndrome, got an idea. He went home at night and thought, I'm gonna come up with a thought for the day. I'm gonna print it off, cut them up, and I'm gonna put one in everyone's grocery bag that comes through the checkout lane. And so one month later, the store manager called Barbara Gantz and kind of report back about the talk and the challenge. She said, when I went out on the floor this morning, the line at Johnny's checkout was three times longer than any other line. And I went ballistic yelling, get more lanes open. But one customer said, no, we wanna be in Johnny's lane. We want a thought for the day. One woman said, I used to shop once a week. Now I come here every time to go, every time I go by just because I want Johnny's thought for the day. The manager says that Johnny took the next step and began to transform the store. In fact, he went to the floor department and when there was a broken flower or an unused corsage, he would go on the floor, find an elderly woman or a little girl and pin it on them. He says, we are having so much fun with our customers. What do we have taking place? It's a signature. It's not what could other people do? It's what can I do? What could I do? 
with what God has gifted me with, with how God has blessed me. I take inventory. The inventory is to give thanks, but it's also to look and say, how can I bless? Oswald Chambers again. He says, it is inbred in us that we have to do exceptional things for God, but we have not. We have to be exceptional in the ordinary things, to be holy in the mean streets among mean people, and this is not learned in five minutes. It sounds like he spent some time in Meyer right there. I love what he says. We have to be extraordinary, not in the, the big things. It's in the ordinary things. The small things. Find your signature. I don't know. Um, I'm going to give you a term that maybe you've never learned. And I, I learned this term in our first, I think, first or second year of ministry. We weren't making really much of anything. We were, we were in a larger church, but we were the youth pastors. We were the kids' pastors. We uh, actually took a custodial job at the church to help uh, with some finances. Um, we did all sorts of just little things. Just, it's just the way ministry was uh, back in that time. And I remember after service, this gentleman walked up that had always intimidated me at church. Ever seen that person across? the role that just kind of intimidated that you've never said hi to, but you've made all these judgment calls about them. Don't shake your head. People around you will get paranoid. And he walked up to me and he just stuck out his hand to shake my hand. And so I shook his hand and I'm like trembling. And he looked at me, he just smiled. And he said, I just want to tell you, you're doing a great job. But in his hand, I felt something on my palm and he released my hand and he just walked away, just never to speak to me, just shook my hand. And I looked at my hand and there was a crisp $50 bill. We call those Pentecostal handshakes. Some of you that are not Pentecostal are just about to become a Pentecostal. But I remember telling my father, I'm like, dad, do you believe this? He goes, that's what he does. I'm like, what do you mean? That's just what he does. I'm like, I'm shaking his hand every single time that we do the greeting time during service. I'm finding that man to shake his hand. Um, And I'm shaking everybody else's hand now. So... I just, he's like, dad's like, no, no, no. He's just been known to do that to people. I just remember that conversation. And he says, he says, I've done that to people. I'm like, man, you've done that. All of a sudden, a world had opened up. This man just did these simple handshakes and it may not have meant a world to maybe other people, but for me in that moment and for our little family and the bills that we're trying to pay and all of it, in that moment, it was an exceptional thing with such a small, ordinary thing. Look at how God has blessed your life and find a unique way. Number three, I gotta wrap up here. Number three, little things are big things. Little things are big things. If we read the version of Mark 14 that I believe is in Luke chapter seven, you'll see that these people scoffed at this woman about what she gave. And Jesus turns it around on them. He's like, listen, According to our culture, I showed up and you, gave, you didn't give water to refresh me. I showed up and I mean, culturally, he's supposed to be greeted with a kiss. I'm kind of happy that's, that's not our cultural thing. I don't know what I think if I show up to your house and you kiss me. But for there, they, they, would, be, they would be greeted with a kiss. And he says, listen, I showed up and, and there was no kiss. In fact, in their culture, if somebody came in from long travels, you actually gave them a little bit of anointing perfume upon their head that would actually, it's more than just getting them to smell better, it was refreshing them from their long journey. And they didn't even offer, they didn't even offer the minimum of the water, the greeting, the oil, or the perfume. They offered them nothing, not the little things. And this woman walks in and does something big and they scoffed at her. I'm here to tell you the little things are the big things. This week was one of the most difficult weeks of my life. I'm just telling you. 
And some of you sent me some texts this week and some messages. You sent me a message this week. You sent me a song this week. There were texts that were coming my way and I'm screenshotting them and I'm texting my wife. I'm like, oh my word, nobody knows what we're facing and nobody knows what we're going through right now. But you know who knows is Jesus knows. And people are responding to the radical minimum that says what I have. It may not seem like much, but it's an extraordinary thing with an ordinary moment. And God uses ordinary things to bring miracles in people's lives. In fact, I'll say it this way. There's no such thing as an action too small for God to use. As the Spirit of God moves, be a blessing. It could be a note. It could be a smile. It could be a coffee. Good coffee, please. It could be your time. It could be an action. I've known young couples that have had couples that with empty nests come and say, you need a date night. You go out. We're going to watch your kids for you. Listen, we've got kids ministry and we've got kids that have to sign up. But if, if we don't have enough workers, that sign up is going to be limited. We need people to help give more workers so that anybody that wants to come can come. You might say, well, I've served my time. Listen, kids ministry was not prison. <laughs> Nursery work is more than babysitting. You're there to bless families and children to speak and to pray over them and to disciple them. We need you to step up and to be what God has called you to be, a blessing. You see, it's the little acts of kindness that have impacted me all along my way. Yeah, I think it's mainly about thinking outside of yourself mm-hmm. and a person who just puts others before their own needs even. And um, I think a lot of times we assume you have to have this grand plan to bless others. Mm -hmm. But most of the time I find that God just puts little opportunities if we're willing to just be present Mm -hmm. and to notice. (laughs) So I think a person of blessing is someone who just notices and is willing to take those small little extra steps to make a difference. On the YouVersion notes on the app, I gave you a to-do list this week to find someone to celebrate today, someone to encourage, someone to pray for, someone to serve, someone to love, someone to give to, someone to help and someone to empathize with. See, some of you, when it comes to blessing, you're looking for a home run. And baseball season is just getting ready to start and I'm getting ready to begin my disappointment for what the year is gonna hold for the Detroit Tigers. But I'm here to tell you that the best teams out there are not the ones that necessarily hit the most home runs. The best teams out there that win consistently, it's not that they hit the most home runs, it's that they, they hit the most singles. It's about base hits. It's about the basics. And stop waiting for a home run to come through your life. Start hitting base hits. What hits? Bless them, help them, encourage them, strengthen them, pour into them. And it's the little acts of kindness that have profound impact. And that brings me to number four. And it is the very first thing I wrote down when I started studying for this series two to three months ago. It is the number one thing. The first thing I wrote down is this. Remember, only one name matters. When I first opened up Mark 14, the one who did the blessing 
Her name wasn't even recorded. In fact, um, it's widely known that Mark, the, the, the Gospel of Mark was written by Mark, but it was the story of Peter. So Peter didn't even include her name. Um, because, I mean, it's not that she personally didn't matter. She matters because every human being matters. Every human being matters. They're made in the image of God. They matter. But, but when it came to the moment, when it came to blessing, let me tell you this. We don't, go, we don't do blessing for this. We don't do blessing so that somebody can tag us in a post. We bless because there's only one name that truly matters. And that name is the name that is above every other name. It is the name that every knee will bow and every tongue confess. It is the name that will drive out demons. It is that name that will speak healing into the broken. It is that name that will bring a calm in the midst of a storm and his name is Jesus. There's only one name that matters. Why be a blessing? Why be a blessing? Because you may be the answer to somebody's prayer this week. Why be a blessing? You can be the answer to the prayer that somebody's been praying for for years. You can be that type of blessing. I look out here and I know who, who's watching on, these, on their screens. And I'm telling you, you're not just candidates for a blessing. You are candidates to be miracles in somebody else's life. Just by simply stepping out and being a blessing. Would you bow your heads? With heads bowed and eyes closed, and I, I guess I, don't, I just don't ever want to take this for granted. If you're here today, and maybe you've never received the blessing of salvation in your life. Maybe you've never received, by faith, the gift of salvation. Maybe you're here watching, and you're talking about, man, I don't feel blessed, and maybe, it should, maybe that feeling Maybe it's because you've just never accepted Christ into your life and accepted that free gift, that blessing of salvation that is available for every human being who would call upon the name of the Lord. And maybe you're here and you want to make a change. You want to make a transformative turn in your life. And you want Jesus to come in and to give you that blessing of salvation. Maybe you walked in here and your life's journey was in one direction and you're not happy with that direction. You know that direction was just going toward nothing but destruction or hopelessness or whatever. But here you're ready to make a decision to follow Jesus and you want God's blessing of salvation on your life. If that's you, just real quick, could you just lift up a hand? Say, Pastor, if that's me, I wanna give my life to Jesus today. I want that gift of salvation in me. I just want to look around. I never want to take it for granted. I know the service did not lend toward that, but I don't ever want to take that for granted. Okay. Hallelujah. Would you pray with me? Jesus, today, Lord, we recognize your default is blessing. So therefore, we accept the radical minimum call that said if it's your default and if we serve you, God, that needs to become our default. And so, Lord, we take on this role of not just being a people that hear about it and celebrate it on a Sunday morning, but that you would help us to move into the highways and byways of life, into the marketplaces, the workplaces, the school places, our homes, that wherever we go and when people would encounter us, I ask you, Lord, that you would help us to live out a culture of blessing. 
Lord, the scripture says, taste and see and know that the Lord is good. I ask, let it be said of everybody that would interact with our lives, let them taste of your presence. Lord, I commission these people to be priests, to be people that would be proclaimers of your goodness and your mercy, proclaimers of your presence, proclaimers of your scripture, proclaimers of of the excellence of the one that has called us out of darkness and a marvelous light that you would use them to call others out of darkness into you, not our light, into yours. Because there's one name that matters, and it's Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said.